morning. Apparently, I have some things to say that some people go, what? Um, I've seen it in three, uh, two of the three services. There's some, some little things I'm going to give you, and they're, and they're stated in such a way that they're supposed to draw a little, wait a minute, but listen to them when you hear them. And it's okay if you go, I can't, what? I'm not swearing or anything like that. It's nothing like that. But I'm going to challenge you with some things. And, and it just doesn't sound like something that you typically hear from the pulpit because sermons are supposed to be encouraging, and I hope this one will be. And they're supposed to make you feel good. And I hope this one won't. Okay? In a good way. Because sometimes God needs to shake us up, rattle us up a little bit. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be talking about Abraham. Um, and, but there's this spot in Hebrews 11 that ends up being kind of the fulcrum or the teeter-totter point uh, in this passage. This, this, the author of Hebrews is trying to show us what faith is. And we, we hear, we heard from Pastor Doug last week that, that the, the sermon that was about Noah, but Noah wasn't really in it. Um, where is he? Did he go away? Because he didn't he stand up here and say, you know, it's, a, it's about Noah, but it's really not about Noah. Yeah. Um, uh, so when we, when we hear these things, we think it's about these great accomplishments, and it isn't. It's about be, people being obedient. The people saying, when the Lord says, do this, go here, be that, they say, yes, Lord. So the faith is about obedience. It's about saying, yes, Lord. It's not about the greatest accomplishments. Great things happen because God knows down the road what he's going to do because of this moment. But if we're not faithful in this moment, then God will have to pick someone else to start that ball rolling. So there's this spot in this passage that's called, the, the, the theologians call it an interlude. So it, we, they, he talks... He talks about Abel, he talks about Enoch, he talks about Noah, and, and then he talks about Abraham, and then he kind of pauses for a while, and then he talks about Abraham again and goes on, and we kind of just throw away that little interlude, but that is the teeter-totter point. It's the, it's, the, it's the passage, it's the part of this passage that everything lands on, that everything falls one way or the other on. So I'm going to read it, and uh, ask you we're going to fly through the first part, I'll slow down when we get to the Abraham part. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice to Cain, uh, to, than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Uh, for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned of things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the, right, heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. 
by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him, he, Abraham, considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now here's that little interlude. All these people, he's talking about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and his family, Jacob and his family. He's not talking about the others before that because Enoch never died. So you'll see that here in a second. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are, they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had... He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now, Abraham is a great man. There's a reason that he's considered the patriarch of, both, of, of all three of the, major, the, the world's major religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. There's a reason. Because he's attributed great, great things are attributed to him. But if you think about all the, now here, here, if you want to read on Abraham, I encourage you to do so. Go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, start in Genesis chapter 12 and read through Genesis 22. Kind of, here's kind of how it went. Abraham obeyed while in Haran, this is Genesis 12, while in Haran, it's not on the screen. Abraham received a word from the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, or Abram is what his name was then. It changed to Abraham later. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Then God establishes a covenant with him out in the middle of the wilderness in Genesis 15. We've talked about that before. If you want an explanation of that blood path thing, look online for our Good Friday service. And that, that's what we did. That's what we did there. Abraham believed God in, in Genesis 18 and 21 when he was well into his 90s, maybe over 100 years old. Depends on what theologian you talk to and how they do the math in the Bible. But he, he didn't have any kids, but through his kid, everyone was going to be blessed. And he and his wife made some mistakes. They, they even decided, well, we'll try to have, maybe we'll have a kid through another woman. And, da, 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 da. and the, so they're trying to, they're trying to jury, uh, gerrymander God's promise. But God says, nope, it's going to happen this way. Abraham believes his son Isaac is born. That's Genesis 18 and 21. And then Abraham was tested in Genesis chapter 22. It starts off, it, it, you never hear this in the Bible, but it says sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said, Abraham, yes, my Lord, take your son Isaac, your only son whom you love, and take him to a place that I will tell you about. Same kind of wording as when he said, leave your, leave your father, go to where I'll tell you. And hack up your son for me. And Abraham did it. He got right to the point of the night, right there. And then an angel said, whoa, 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 don't touch him. 
now that I know that you will not withhold your son from me, that you fear God, that you will not withhold your son from me, I'm not going to ask you to do it. But if Abraham, if the story ended right there, and no angel, no nothing, he would not be considered a hero, he'd be considered a psycho. Hacking up his son for God? Come on. So what is it, though, that Abraham, if he's such this faith-filled giant, what is it that, that he really did? He just about killed his son. There was a th- Okay, he did something gracious with his, with his nephew, Lot. Um, Lot, and they were, they were living, and, and their, God had blessed them enough that they had lots and lots of people and lots and lots of cows and sheep and that kind of thing and lots of, lots of material wealth, but they didn't have a, a country. They didn't have a castle. They're living in tents. And, and Abraham, in the good ecological fashion, he looks out and he goes, look, this valley, this area that we're in can't support. We're going to just absolutely ravage this area with all of our, with all of our, our flocks. So we got to split up. And he says to Lot, um, you pick. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go this way, I'll go that way. And, and Lot, being that fine, selfless person, looks out and sees the best and says, I'll take that. And Abraham let him go. That's selfless. But there's some other things about Abraham. We want to be honest about these heroes. And we'll get to the, to the, to the meat of this in just a moment. But we, let's be honest about these heroes. We, you know, we heard last week that, uh, that Noah even though he had been so faithful that after the flood and all that stuff, he ended up drunk and naked in his tent, okay? He, none of these heroes are perfect people. So Abraham, one of the things he did, which I learned in seminary, I didn't know the story before that, and it just uh, still appalls me to this day. When he went to Egypt, he said to his wife, and this is something you say to your wives, guys, you are a beautiful woman. And Pharaoh's going to want to have you for himself, so he's going to kill me to get you. So why don't you just say you're my sister? So he allowed his wife to become Pharaoh's concubine to save his own skin. Not a courageous man. But when God gave him a command, he said yes. But what did Abraham actually do? What did he actually get? Did he get the promised land? He lived there in tents, but it was never his. He never had authority over it. He never had, he, he had God's promise. Not for him, not for Isaac, not for Jacob, not for Joseph, not even for Moses. Moses, God shows up in the, in, in, in the wilderness and he says, Moses, I want you to let my people go. Go rescue my people. Who should I tell them sent you? Yahweh. God gave his name. That's an intimate moment. And he, and he says, go. And, and these miraculous signs happen. These plagues. These Finally, finally Pharaoh just goes, get them. Get out. And they go, and then the Red Sea thing and all that kind of, and then, then this, this, these people, they've just been rescued by the God of the universe. There's miraculous sign after miraculous sign after miraculous sign, and then that last minute rescue in the Red Sea, this unbelievable stuff that's just happened. And God wants to reestablish the covenant, and so he says to Moses, he carves, God carves some, 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 some boundaries to protect them from pain, some boundaries on, with his own finger on, on some stone tablets. And as Moses is coming down the mountain, when God has just reestablished the covenant, they had made a cow out of gold. And you brought me out of Egypt. So even those people that God loved so much that he brought them out of Egypt, they don't get the promised land. Abraham is attributed as someone of faith, as are Isaac and Jacob and all the patriarchs. Because they believed God, not for themselves, but for, the, for those that would come after them. Every one of them. 
They no, none of them got the specifics of what God promised. He promised that your descendants will be great. He promised that every people will be blessed because of your line of, even Jesus came from his line. But look at Jesus. If we want to know what faith is, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you don't see, but who is our hope? He's our hope. Certain of what we hope for, not what we want, not what we want to get. If we have this idea that, that, that God's job is to make our lives easier, if we have this idea that Christianity is for Christians, we're missing it. It's for Christ. When Jesus came, what did he, did he say, I, I, I came to be served? No, I came to serve. Did he come on a white horse and a white stallion with an army to kick Rome out of Jerusalem and, and take over all of Israel and rule with an iron fist from that day forward? No. He came to be the suffering servant, the wounded healer. Jesus came not for self, but for the benefit of those that would come after him. Every time you look at it, Paul, Paul who was a terrorist, he went about murdering Christians, seeking them out to kill them and to intimidate all the other Christians. And one day he's walking down the road and Jesus appears to him. Saul, who are you? Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. He, he gets blinded. He falls to, to, to the ground. He confesses. He repents. He goes off for a while to really grow up in the faith. And then what? What did he get? He went around the known world three times for the sole purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of reconciliation. That is all Paul did. And what did he get for it? Shipwrecked, snake bitten, whippings, imprisonment, beatings. Why would he do that? You know that the apostles, the disciples who became apostles, that I, I think it's just John, John was the only one that died peacefully. But they were boiled in oil. They were crucified upside down. All of them at one time or another were imprisoned. What did they get? How was Christianity for them? They knew better. It wasn't for them. It was for those who would come after them. You know that you have people in your neighborhood that are going to hell? That sounds awful to say. And you know why they might be going to hell? Because they don't know that God loves them. You know who the missionary is in your neighborhood? You. All right, let's do a little test. You don't have to raise your hand. No one's going to want to make eye contact with me. I get this. It's pretty risky for me. In church... You ever have it where you just don't like the music? You're like, man, why don't they do stuff, you know, that I like? And then, you know, you get frustrated enough or the, some, the bass is too loud or the drums are too loud or something. And you get that stuff. And look, there's not a whole lot of complaints going on. This isn't my way of addressing complaints that are going on. It's not going on. I'm just trying to, trying to get to your heart a little bit, okay? But have you ever had, I mean, there, there are some songs that just, it's like a screaming cat to me. Or fingers on a chalkboard, you know, or, or if you can't, yeah, you, you won't come through. But I, if I put my hand over my hearing aid, it gives me feedback. It's like, Aah! there's some music that just doesn't speak to my soul. And I get it. I do. And, 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 and it, you might not know which one. I can tell you at our old church, we used to do this song, Ancient of Days. I just, oh my goodness. And you might love it. That's fine. That's fine. The Lord bless you. But to me, oh, it would, every time, oh 
If you ever have that kind of thing and you wonder, why, why are they doing new stuff? Why don't we do the stuff that I love? Or, or why, aren't they, why are they doing all the old stuff? Why aren't they doing the new stuff? How, don't they listen to the radio? That kind of thing. You know how you, we can get? Then, then we have a view of worship that's off and it tells us that our view of faith is off. If we have this idea that worship is for me, then we're worshiping you. See, Worship is about God. It's telling God who he is. And for me, there's some music that I can't stand. But if I listen, I can see the lyrics or I can look around and see how other people are, are drawn closer to God because of it. And so it doesn't matter if I get what I want. What matters is, is God getting praise? Is God receiving worship? See, worship, one of the words for worship is proskuneo, is to lean forward in order to kiss. It comes from the same descriptor of a dog leaning forward to lick his master's hand. Why does a dog lick his master's hand? Some people go, oh, salt. It's the salt on the skin. Yeah, but why does a dog lick for salt? Because he likes it. It's pleasurable. That's why we worship God. We tell God you're pleasurable. We're telling God that you're God, we're not. And so whatever means, whatever genre of music, whatever, whatever way, doesn't matter. If my spirit is right, then my faith is not about me, it's about God. Here's another one. This is the one when no one's going to look in the eye. I've heard this so many times over the years, and this is one of those quotes that you kind of go, I don't know about that. I go to church to get fed. You heard that one, said that one? I'm not going to look at anybody. I go to church to get fed. And well, the sermon today just didn't really get me. There's no practical application today. So I, I don't know, you know. Okay, I get it. I mean, think about doing this every single week and hitting a home run every time. You can't do it. Okay. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you're old enough to know you need to get fed, you're old enough to feed yourself. That's what this is for. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm telling you that God loves you so much. That he gave his written word, and he loves you so much that he, the Gutenberg Press, he gave someone the idea on how to make a printing press. He loved you so much that he puts it on your phone now. Someone, he, he makes it public domain. You, he loves you so much that he will speak to you every single day, and he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to read. He wants you to chew on it. And you should see toilet paper and, and crumbs and, 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 and all kinds of stuff mixed in here. It should be marked up like crazy. And if you don't like marking up your Bible, fine. Mark it up on your phone. But nevertheless, God wants to speak to you. He wants to feed you every day, not just on Sunday. On Sunday, it's the proclaimed word of God. It's the prophetic mantle that, that we send out the word of God and he accomplishes and it does what he wants it to do and it doesn't come back to him empty. That's the job of a preacher is to bark and run around and make a lot of noise and try to keep the sheep following after the shepherd. It's not to feed you. It's to encourage you, to challenge you and or to exhort you. Those are the little tests. So if, you, if something is wrong, if, if you get like that grumbling spirit, okay. Before you go to someone and complain or before you go to 15 other people and tell them how displeased you are with things, ask God, God, do I have the right spirit about this? And if you do, then with grace and mercy, go to the person responsible, not to the 15 other people to make sure that you're getting it right. Go to the person responsible and go, hey, you know, I, this is something you should maybe... Maybe think about this. Or, you know, come to offer help instead of waiting for people to know what you want so that they can give it to you. See, Christianity is about Christ. It's not about Christians. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. And what is it that God, if he's our hope, 
What does he tell us that he wants us to do? Pick up your cross every day and follow after me. In this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He didn't come to make our lives easier. Certainly not. He did come to make our lives better. And not just ours, but those he wants to bless through us. So who is it that God wants you to talk to? Who is it that God wants you to take the faith that he's given you and give it away to someone else? Who is it that you're concerned about who comes next, not what I get? Now, there are Christian traditions that make it about name it and claim it, that make it about God has this for you and he wants his people to be blessed. And, and he does. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to hear your prayers and that you can't cry out and shake your fist and say, why, Lord, why, Lord? All those things are fine. They're good. But if you stop there, then, you, then, then you're a churchian, not a Christian. He says here that they were hoping for the thing that comes from God, not the thing that they get here. Their faith, they were called faithful because they were obedient to God for other people's sake. And God blessed them in the midst of it, but for other people's sake. Is that how you see your faith? That faith is for Christ and in Christ, and he wants you to take what he's given you and give it away. Just like he does with the money. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, that he provides for you and he asks not what's left over. He says, give me first from the first, give back to me as a way of trusting me that I will continue to provide for you in this ongoing cycle. Same thing with our faith. That if we, if we get wrapped up and it's about me, then we're missing it. Look at what Jesus does give you three different examples. I'll do them fast, but in the gospels, there's these two words that Jesus uses several times. And I'll give you three of the examples. One is a dead guy, one is a invalid, and one is a paralyzed person. The dead guy, the widow's son at Nain, Jesus walks up and interrupts a funeral. This is a widow who lost her only son. He's dead. She's hopeless. And by the way, just follow Jesus' example in everything that you do, everywhere you go, except at funerals. Okay. He interrupted everyone he ever went to. And if he gives you a word to go up and say to someone, come back from the dead, be obedient. But otherwise, don't say to the person who just lost someone, don't cry. That's what he does. He walks up to this widow and he says, don't cry. Or why are you crying? Well, duh. Then he walks up to this dead man and he says, get up. And you know what the dead guy did? He got up. Remember the... the, the, the uh, Mark chapter 2, when the, the Jesus is preaching in a, in a little house and these guys bring their friend over and they dig through the roof and they drop him down. And, and Jesus says, because of their faith, your sin, sins are forgiven. And the, the religious people, the churchians are kind of going, who can, you can't do, you can't, you no one forgives sins but God alone. Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? So that you may know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I'll, I'll show you. Young man, pick up your mat. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he got up. And then the invalid at the pool in John 5, Jesus walks up and all these other invalids, all these other blind, lame, paralyzed people, but he walks to this one and he says, do you want to get well? Well, there's no one to help me get in the pool. Every time I try to get in, someone gets in there ahead of me. Jesus didn't ask him, why aren't you well? He asked me if he wanted to get well. And then Jesus says, get up. What kind of faith did those people have? That they, a dead guy could come alive again, an invalid, or a paralyzed guy could walk and an invalid could stand up off, off the ground. They didn't have faith that would move mountains. They had faith that would move muscles. They engaged their core. They, Jesus said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to engage 
my core. I'm going to sit up and I'm going to trust these legs. So they experienced what God had given them. But did they get to go back to their old life? No. They now have something of purpose. And so do you. Don't go back to the old way of Jesus is here to make my life easier. (coughs) Go down the street. Pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Okay, we're praying for workers. But instead of saying, Lord, send workers, why can't we ever say, Lord, where do you want to send me? That's what the ancients are commended for. For faith that would bless others. Trusting God that he will bless others. Not trusting God so that he will bless me. I know it's hard. I know it's not comfortable. But I also know it's the word of God and the will of God. To be the people that represent him well. And if Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, then his people are not to go to be served, but to serve. Do you have a heart for anyone in your life that doesn't know Jesus? Because you know what they need? The radical, unabashed, spendthrift love of God. We, we grieve as Christians that the, that the culture doesn't look at us very well. They don't like us. They don't really appreciate us very much. Okay. Is it possible, though, that some of that is our fault? That we haven't been the people that love others, whether they love us back? Is it possible that, that we don't go to them the way Christ came to us? Is it possible that we've thought that Christianity is about us? And not about them. The author of Hebrews is trying to say to Jewish people who are very comfortable with God works for us and we're his and no one else matters. And saying, no. Every single person that you think so highly of, believe God for other people's blessing, not for their own. Do you believe God for other people's blessing or only for your own? It's a tough question. I'm just going to ask you to take it up with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you came to serve and not to be served. Thank you that your disciples were willing to serve and not to be served. And thank you that you want for us, what's best for us is to take the things you've given us and to give them away. It seems upside down and backwards, but Lord, it is... It is what you want. So give us the courage to ask you to show us where we're, where we're making you about us. And when you show us something, we'll, we'll repent, we'll confess, repent, and ask forgiveness. And remind us, though, Lord, that when you forgive us, you'll never bring it up again. And help us to have the courage to live a life that will bring glory to your name and advance the growth of your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name for your sake. Amen. Look, I know it's, it's, it's weird to tell people to, um, that preaching isn't about feeding you and that worship's not about you and what you like. We, look, it's, ethnomusicology is the study of how, how, how music in a culture affects people. It, it's, it's legitimate stuff. 
but tastes are tastes. But Christ reigns. And he reigns not only in you and for you, but he wants to reign through you in and for other people. That's the purpose of the gospel. None of us would know Jesus if other people hadn't believed God for other people's benefit. The promise that God made to Abraham, you are the recipients of. You are, you're you're saved. You have everlasting life because Abraham was willing to not only believe but also suffer so that you have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. And I want to tell you one last thing. If you think, oh, I need to get to know God better and I need to know more, uh, I point you to the, the, to the Samaritan woman and John, that she, she brought half her village to Jesus hours after she met him. See, the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So you're not going to ever get closer to God. He's in you. And you're not going to have more. That same spirit is in you. The power of the universe is at your disposal. So if you don't know what to do, ask If you don't know where to go, ask. If you don't know how to say it, ask. He's faithful and he will give you what you need at your time of need, not before, at the moment, because that is how God works. If he showed you what your life will be and he gave you the picture of the whole thing, if you wanted that certainty, then there's no faith involved. He's smart enough, he's God, to let you see what the next faithful step is so that you'll keep moving forward, trusting him one step at a time. Be the people God called you to be by saying, yes, Lord, in the next step. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.